Hey everybody, you're listening to Living Theology with the Luby Brothers, a podcast dedicated to understanding and living out the gospel. The gospel that brings us to God and transforms us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. We are your hosts, Doug, Greg, and Mark Luby. We're doing another episode in light of coronavirus, COVID-19, and just everything that's going on in our lives and in the world right now. And one of the questions that we're kind of asking, and I'm personally being challenged to ask, is how do we pray in this season and in this time? And we wanted to look at a passage which is well known if you're within a Christian circle, but it's the Lord's Prayer. It occurs in two times in the at two times in the Bible, both in Matthew six in the Sermon on the Mount and in Luke eleven. And the beginning of Luke eleven, which may be a different um, time than in Matthew six, we don't get a ton of detail, but people think it may be two different times where Jesus is teaching this prayer. Uh, the passage beginning in Luke 11, I think is just so fitting for this season. Luke 11, one says, now when Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, and then he goes on and he teaches the prayer. But I love that phrase, Lord, teach us to pray. Because it seems like we're in a season where the Lord is teaching us to pray And what we want to do today is together look at this Lord's Prayer where he teaches us to pray. We're going to look at the Matthew version and ask the question, what does it look like to engage in prayer in this season? And so, Doug, would you begin to introduce for us the Matthew passage and what we're going to be looking at today? Definitely. Um, I was listening to the song, Father, You Are All We Need by Citizens this last week. Because I've been trying to do some things that are good for my soul, as I'm often just distracted these days and taking in a bunch of other content. So I've been listening to more worship music. I was listening to that song and realizing this is really relevant to a lot of things that I'm going through and realized, oh, they're just doing a whole song based on the Lord's Prayer. And I began to think the Lord's Prayer would be a really helpful model for me to pray. And then over the last week or two as I've been thinking more about the Lord's Prayer and even using it as a model for a lot of my own prayers, I've realized, which I've realized this is really a great prayer. And in some ways, of course it is, because this is what Jesus taught us. (laughs) Um, But then actually going through line by line and using that as a starting point for things to be praying about in my own life and in the world around us, I found it to be really helpful and sweet in these days. So we're going to actually talk about the Lord's Prayer a little bit as a whole, but then walk through it line by line discussing how can we use this as a model for what we can be praying for. And I think it's helpful to me because it keeps me from just praying about certain things. It also balances a lot of our prayers. And it's a great thing to pray through the prayers that are in Scripture, to pray through the Psalms. Um, so we're going to use the Lord's Prayer here just as a model for how do we go about our own prayers. Because for me, I find that being a man of prayer is something that's always on my goal list. I want to be a man of prayer, 
but then it's always been a struggle for me. And Greg, I've appreciated the ways that you've modeled prayer for other people, and the ways that you've expressed your heart for the Lord in that. Um, and I think that my prayer life has been growing over the decades here, but it's still something where just wanting to see change and growth and longing for the Lord expressed in prayer. So the Lord's Prayer here has been helpful to me in the past week. So I'm going to go ahead and read it. And then we'll just share some general thoughts on the prayer and then go through it line by line and how we could be praying this related to the current season. So in Matthew 6, verses 9 to 13, Jesus says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Guys, what would be some of your overall thoughts related to this prayer? I like just how the prayer starts. And one fascinating part of it is father and that word just approaching God as his father. And that's because of Christ and our union with Christ, God's our Father, we're in his family. So I think that's just a fascinating aspect of our relationship with God that's revealed here. And that's something that I try to think about every time that I enter into prayers. God is our Father. And Romans 8 talks about how Christ is interceding before us, or interceding on our behalf before God, and how because of Christ we can call God Abba, Father, because we're co-heirs with Christ. And so as I even approach prayer, sometimes I have a tendency to think, okay, God's, what does God think about me? How does he feel about me? Or I haven't prayed in a while, or you know, I've been wrestling with sin, so I kind of have to cower in the presence of God. But because of Christ, because of the grace of God, I get to enter into the presence of God, and he's a loving father. That's one of the things that's been really standing out to me as well. Um, Sunday, I was thinking through the Lord's Prayer and just started crying with the reality that we get to begin our prayers, our Father, that Jesus is telling us to come before the Father, not as someone who's distant or away, but that we come to him as Father, that that is how God has asked us to pray. It's just a significant thing that we don't come to him as an angry judge. We don't come before him as someone who's aloof that we have to persuade to care about us, someone who's indifferent, but we come to him as our father. That's astounding. Yeah, one one way I've even thought about it is like I have a and I might have heard someone else say this, this might be plagiarized, but I have a easy time believing that God loves me, but I have a hard time sometimes believing he actually likes me and wants to be with me. And I know it kind of seems like less, but even just that the emotions are there as well as just the love and unconditional love. And But Zephaniah 317 talks about how the Lord delights over us. With, is it singing or dancing? One of those two. And <laughs> I think dancing. And I think that's just a really powerful idea. So that's just one that God's close. And he actually hears when we're praying, we're not, praying to a God who's distant, going to read a letter, but he's actually with us. And I remember one time I was praying in my college dorm room and just realized God's actually here, actually listening, actually cares right now as I enter into his presence. He's not distant. He's with me right now. 
as a loving father hearing and caring. It is interesting too, because prayer is not something entirely unique to Christianity in the sense that people in every or most faiths that I know of will pray. Um, there's prayer practices. You know, you can even talk about very religious practices of going days without food or water and then being in prayer um, in a non-Christian context. And so even zeal in prayer is not unique to Christianity. Um, and then we even a modern version of it in our culture would be something like, hey, I'm sending positive thoughts your way or I'm sending good vibes in your direction or prayers and good vibes. And those are things that we'll probably see pretty often in this season. But this one line, these two words that begin this, our father, they make Christian prayer unique. That we actually have a loving father who is in heaven, who hears our prayers. And he, he's our father in heaven, so he's our father. He hears us as his children, and he has all power and authority. And Greg, you mentioned this earlier, but here we have our Lord Christ teaching us to pray and who gives us access to the father. Um, he invites us to have our father with him, our father who we pray to through the access of the son by the power of the Holy spirit. And so just even the fascinating thing about Christian prayer is that what makes it unique is actually the way in which we approach God as a father through his son by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in the context of this before, in Matthew, Jesus is telling his disciples um, and the people in the Sermon on the Mount, he says in verse 7 of chapter 6, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows you need what you need before you ask him. And Jesus is not saying don't be persistent in prayer. He's going to make that very clear in other times. <clears throat> but what it seems that he's saying here is you need to understand that your foundational relationship to God is as a loving father. And because of that, your whole prayer is shaped by this one explosive phrase, our father in heaven. That's how yeah. you begin. That's the beauty of Christian prayer. That's the beauty of what we have as we approach God. And that's so significant because I often feel so inadequate in my own prayer life. Like I'm not good enough. <laughs> like I hear these stories of people, you know, with these calluses on their knees and I'm like, oh man, like what, yeah. what pain can I inflict upon myself? You know, whatever. Uh, and which is like, I do want to grow in prayer. I do want to be more zealous in it. But also, like, just the sigh of relief we get when we realize that Jesus is here saying, hey, you don't have to heap up empty phrases, but approach God as your loving father. We approach God not in our own strength, but in the strength of being positioned as children of God. And that's incredible. Yeah. It is so sweet that that relationship is our entrance into prayer that God is our father. So we're not trying to persuade an indifferent God. We're not trying to appease an angry God. We're not trying to inform an ignorant God. We're coming to have relationship and to depend upon a father who cares for us and wants to give good things to his children. In chapter 7, he says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your heavenly father. And that aspect of 
do we trust him that the high and exalted God cares about us? I think of Isaiah 57, 15. This is what the high and lofty one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. And if we're feeling in these days lowly and contrite, it is a sweet thing that our Father in heaven, who is exalted and holy, cares. And he desires to be with his children in need. And in some ways, if we, if we start with that reality, the rest of this prayer naturally flows. If that is true of who God is, that we should long for his name to be regarded as holy. We should long for his kingdom to come. We will depend on him for our daily needs. We'll ask him for forgiveness. We'll ask for his protection. To him be glory forever. Um, maybe on that, we can just go to this next line. Hallowed be your name. And that word hallowed is kind of interesting there because I don't really think about that term sometimes we hear hollowed ground but that word hollowed means sanctified so I was looking this up recently that it's asking God's name to be sanctified and sometimes the context that we're more familiar with this word is for us as God's people to be sanctified Jesus talks about the disciples and asks the father sanctify them in the truth your word is truth and Part of being right with God means that we're justified, our sins are forgiven, and then we become sanctified, which does mean we progress in holiness. But there's also a sense of sanctification that is being set apart and being like exalted. So for Christians to be sanctified both means that we grow in holiness to be like Jesus, and it means that we're set apart as his. And so here, as we're praying that God's name would be hallowed, that it be sanctified, it's not as if we can say, Lord, make your name holy. It is. But we're saying, would your name be set apart as holy? Would you do that in the world? Would you do that in our own lives? And I think even for me right now, like I want God's name to be reverenced in my life. And it's so easy for me to go to other places but if I can begin remembering that he's my father and that I want his name to be lifted up, that's going to set a tone for all of my prayer. Yeah, I think even in this season, it's just really easy to be so focused on myself, what's going on in my life, how's this going to turn out for me. And just in a lot of ways, like we talked about last week, it can expose our own kingdom, what's most important in my life and my affections. And I've been challenged by John and the book of John, and specifically John the Baptist, where he says, I mean, his kind of life verse, <laughs> he must increase, I must decrease, he must become greater, I must become less, and his joy is complete as Christ is increased, and that's just the desire, mm -hmm. the pulse that's driving his life. As he sees his worldly success and ministry go away, and then he's thrown into prison, <laughs> you know, that's yeah. ending. Well, I mean, at first, his ministry goes away, and he says his joy is complete, worldly standards that's crushing to him but his greatest desire is the glory of god and that's what brings him the most joy and later you know he's thrown into prison and that's kind of ends about as bad as it can for anyone in terms of worldly standards so i think overall this is just what i hope the desire of our lives to be the glory of god and 
all things in our life and all aspects of our life and all seasons of our life. And I think my prayer life has begun to change over the years in the midst of difficult circumstances. I mm. used to pray more, Lord, would you let this stop? And I think it shifted to be more, Lord, would you just do what you need to in my life to make me more like you so that my life reflects your glory in greater ways. And if it means this amplifying and getting worse, if it means me living worse physical pain, like I pray it'll go away, but if this is what it takes, would you just do it? And don't stop if this is what you're accomplishing and through my life and through this season. So it's become more like don't stop if this is what needs to happen. <laughs> but also I do pray mm -hmm. that it stops too because it's hard to live in physical pain every day, but if that's what it takes if it takes 30 40 years of me because i have ongoing neck pain and headaches almost daily if that's what it takes for me to be humbled to rely on christ to see him as my ultimate treasure over physical pain and comfort and body image and things like that um then i i'm thankful that god would do that so that i don't rely on other things and put my hope in other things yeah i think even think about this phrase hallowed be your name in the context of a global pandemic, a way to be praying that is, Lord, we don't know what's going on. We don't understand all of this, but we pray that you would be exalted in this time, that people would be turning to you and realizing that you alone can meet all of our needs and provide the safety, the security, the significance that we're longing for. So there is something even at a time of crisis that causes us to ask eternal questions and to look for a sure and solid hope. And yeah, my hope for even just this globally is that we would be seeing that Christ is our hope, that his name would be exalted. Hmm. Doug, can you push, push us into the next part of this prayer then in verse 10? For sure. Uh, verse 10 says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think the two things that have been standing out to me about this prayer request is there's a future hope in this and there's a present reality. There's a future hope that Christ is going to come back and he will make all things new. And so we say, come Lord Jesus. In a time of so much uncertainty, we long for the day when all things will be made right and God will wipe away every tear from our eyes and famine and hunger and depression and sorrow, joblessness will be gone. And so we say, come. But it also doesn't mean that we just focus on the future and escape, but that we actually live out his kingdom now as his church. So the context of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 is the whole of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus has been explaining what are the ethics of his kingdom? How, do his, how does his people live on the earth? What is the church to be like? And the church is supposed to be a place that lives out the kingdom of God now. So the church is to be a breaking in of the future reality of the glories of heaven into a world that still stained by sin and broken and crying out in the pains of childbirth until the ultimate glory comes. But even now, the church is to be a people who live out God's kingdom. Um, so I think there's just something fascinating there where it is saying, 
your kingdom come now, as well as we have a hope for the future to come. C.S. Lewis talks about this idea of just escaping to a heavenly world, where he's like, that's not actually the Christian hope. Um, but sometimes the kind of critique can come up that people are so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly good. And Lewis says, no, that's not true. If you read history, he says, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. So as we realize that the glory of heaven is coming here to the earth forever, perfectly in Christ, that leads us today to live out the ethics of the kingdom that Jesus has explained in Matthew 5 and 6 and that he'll continue in chapter 7. So it should be that the reality that Christ will come back and make all things right leads us to live in line with that reality now. And so do we say in our own lives, Lord, in the midst of this uncertain time where we don't really know what's going on, help us to be your people who live as salt and light in the earth, who live as a city on a hill, who love our enemies, who are pure in heart, who are longing for you above all else. That's good, Doug. And your emphasis too on this on earth as it is in heaven, I think is so significant because he doesn't say, let your will be done on earth so that we can go to heaven. Um, but there's this idea of the inbreaking kingdom of God into the world. And that's where often Christianity can be seen as this uh, ethereal out there idea um, or the hope of religious um, spirituality. Like th those ideas sometimes are seen as they're out there, but unrelated to what's going on. But you think of the massive mm -hmm. implications of even just Christ and his work that as the the classic song joy to the world says he make, came to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found and christ came to bring healing and redemption to the whole cosmos to the whole world to all of humanity and when we think about that in a time like now while we're realizing at the same moment that all flesh is grass like isaiah says that flesh withers and really nothing has ultimately changed for us in that we're still the same human feeble creatures that we've been but we are in the middle of a crisis that's changing our alertness to that and we're being there is a danger there's a real danger that's there but the underlying human condition is still the same but i think what's happening perhaps is there's in a spiritual awakening to this idea that we are like grass we do fade away but what doesn't fade away is the kingdom of God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it's this longing for God's kingdom to come in power upon this earth. And the ultimate end of the story, like you were sharing in the previous episode, Doug, was that our hope is that the suffering and the pain that we endure today is not merely the pain of death, but it's the pain of childbearing. And the end of the story is that God's kingdom will come and that this earth will be redeemed with all sickness, with all suffering, with all death, with all decay, will be brought into a new and glorified state. But it's an astounding thing to think that it is this world, this earth, which is receiving the blessing of the kingdom of God and that God will, in fact, answer these prayers and his kingdom will come in its fullest sense on his timing and it already here is 
is in our midst and it is in our presence now and we can taste of it today in the midst of decay loss suffering and all that one more thing that's been standing out to me from verse 10 is that jesus is asking us to pray that god's will would be done and there is a sense that we know that what god has purposed from all eternity will happen that includes sin and brokenness. So his divine will is going to be accomplished. And that's true. We have a lot of hope that even the evil, wicked things that happen, the pains of childbirth are producing glory. But Jesus here isn't just saying trust in that. He's also saying ask that God's moral will would be done on the earth. He said, like, ask that God's goodness of his kingdom would come in. So as we're in this season of a lot of pain, suffering, brokenness, we do take a lot of hope in that what God has purposed will be accomplished. But then we don't kind of sit back in kind of a stoic sense and say nothing that we do matters. We actually pray that God's kingdom will come, that his will will be done, because our prayers do matter as we pray that the Lord's name would be exalted, as we pray that we would be his people who live out his will. This actually makes a difference in the world. And sometimes we can almost do a theological bypass regarding the pain and suffering that we're going through. And we don't want to do that in our lives where we can just say, okay, everything is really rough and terrible, but God's sovereign in control, so therefore I'm good. Like, well, we do take a lot of hope and encouragement in that, but if I'm really wrestling through the deep pain that's going on, if somebody's just lost their job, or talking to a buddy who's lost almost half of his salary overnight, or people who are struggling because they can't go to a funeral in the way that they want to for a loved one, just the difficult things going on, um, we take great hope that the Lord is ultimately working all things for good, but we also pray diligently that his moral will, his goodness would be seen here on the world, that he would bring about health, that he would bring about redemption, that he would bring about his kingdom in a time that there is a pandemic going on. So we genuinely pray that the goodness of the Lord would come through and that he would interact in this time so that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, that his will would be done today on earth as it ultimately will be on earth when Christ comes back. Yeah. Doug, I think that's a great way of putting it, that there is this present reality of the kingdom of God. I mean, when Christ came, he proclaimed that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. And so the kingdom of God mm -hmm. is now in our midst and we wait for the fullness of the kingdom of God. And so we live in this now, but not yet time frame. And as we do that, we say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as is in heaven. But Jesus is here in the Sermon on the Mount telling us what is the kingdom of God lived out in us look like. And he's offering, he's inviting us actually to live into that and to live into the kingdom of God, to live that out. And that's the season of life that we're in now is um, that's always what we've been invited to through Christ. But as we're processing mm -hmm. this together, we're saying the kingdom of God is in our midst. It is offered for us to live and experience the kingdom with God as our king, or God as our father, Christ as our king, 
and the beauty and the greatness of living in the presence of our loving Father who provides, whose glory we seek, whose kingdom is coming, and who we now participate in the kingdom with. And we're going to spend some more time going through this prayer in the following episode or more episodes, but we think this would be a good spot to end for now. The next phrase is going to be, give us this day our daily bread. And there's so much significance with that just need of provision in this season and this asking God, will you provide for us and our needs? Will you help us in our anxiety as we seek you, um, as we many are out of jobs, as many are going to be facing hardship. These are such relevant prayers, and we just want to give them their due time. And so, Greg, would you summarize for now where we're at right now and give us a just encouragement to take away from this? Yeah, I think just encouragement wherever you're at with your prayer life, whether you feel like it's going really well or not going well at all, I just hope that this would be a time where you'd be able to continue taking some steps forward as we're hoping to do ourselves and just coming into the presence of God and spending time in prayer. I think this is a great season where I'm praying that the Lord would stir my heart and the heart of Christians around the world just to be trusting God in deeper ways and praying in greater ways. And I think, um, you know, the lack of prayerness that I can see in my own life and just in general, I think maybe this is a time where God's just exposing this and maybe leading us to something greater and trusting him. And so I'm just praying that this would be a season where God would revive just a heart for prayer in his church. Um, and I hope that this would just be an encouragement for you this week to come before God in prayer, to take some practical steps, to maybe go on a prayer walk or uh, just <laughs> wherever you're at in your house, just come before the Lord in prayer. And again, just entering the presence of God, knowing that he's a loving father who wants to engage with you, that you enter his presence as a forgiven, loved child of God. And I hope that that be an encouraging thing that gets you excited to pray and then just pray that the name of God would be lifted up and that God's presence would come in and through the lives of believers and that he would be working and moving in the world to make his name known and to bring about his kingdom. Thanks, Greg. Thanks for joining us for this episode. We hope it's of encouragement to you and that you join us next time for another discussion. The music excerpts for this podcast come from the song Enthusiast by Tours, which is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license. More information can be found in the show notes.